You have put a new song in my mouth. A song of praise. A sound that resonates. That all of heaven and earth may worship you. We tread the hills to meet with you. To see your majesty in all that surrounds us. For it speaks and displays the eternal God of ages. Creator. Author. Victor. In love, you established an everlasting covenant with your people. And it's your love that captivates us. As children of the King, we rush in as waves unrestrained. Overcome, overwhelmed, that the King, crowned in glory and splendor, would reach down to place a crown upon our heads. So we raise our banner, the banner we boldly stand under, the banner of Jesus Christ. From dusk to dawn, from age to age, your praise resounds in all the earth. Deliverer, Redeemer, ruler of an everlasting kingdom that cannot be shaken. We trust in the name of Christ Jesus, the only King forever. Welcome back to the program. This is Zion's Redemption Radio Network. This is Fundamentally Mormon. I'm your host, Mark Lichtenwalter. Uh, the guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. That's 917-889-8827. If you're listening at 6 o'clock in the morning on the 5th of October 2021, uh, you can call in to listen to the program. There are 50 lines available um, but if you're going to listen to this later, you can find this at blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentally Mormon or in iTunes, Apple Podcasts by searching for fundamentally Mormon. So today we're going to be reading the conclusion, which is chapter 18 of the United Order, which you can read for free at ogdenkraut.com. Click on Read Ogden's Books and then scroll down to United Order. We'll be uh, starting on pages 272. And uh, also, I will post this at facebook.com forward slash L-A-Z-U-R-U-S 1977, as well as my different groups and pages on Facebook, which some of them are uh, Messiah Ben Joseph, uh, Church of the Living Messiah, Zion's Redemption Radio Network, and Zion's Redemption Bookstore, which are pages on Facebook that I run. Also, I will post these in uh, my groups, LDS Last Days Prophecy and Gospel Discussions, LDS Gospel Mysteries, Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith. Uh, There's one that's called School of the Prophets. And then different groups that uh, are LDS groups that people let me post in as well but but uh if you're if you want to make sure to be able to read this and also have the link to the radio show uh especially like if you're listening on itunes and you're interested in reading this for yourself just follow me on facebook at facebook.com forward slash l-a-z-u-r-u-s 1977 so let's get into the reading we'll start on page 272 like i said and like i said you can read it in those different places that I post the text to what we'll be talking about today. So, 
If faith, repentance, and baptism are and laying on of hands is right and true and demands our obedience, so does cooperation and the united order. That comes from John Taylor, Journal of Discourses, volume 21, page 60. There is a fine line between the spiritual and temporal, the temporal and the spiritual. Man is commanded to renounce the world, yet he is commanded to weed it and make it livable by the sweat of his face. He is commanded to diligently serve God, yet he must always be administering relief to his fellow man. He is taught that the love of money is the root of all evil, yet he is considered worse than an infidel if he provides not these things for his family. Man has been commanded to love God with all his might, mind, and strength, yet he must labor six days out of seven in temporal affairs. A wise man realizes that he is sinful and imperfect, yet he knows that he is a child of God and can be exalted as a God. With his feet on the earth and his head in the heavens, man is torn between the temporal and the spiritual, between God and the devil. In this strange maze of mortality, man progresses or regresses in his quest for an, for an understanding of life page 273 at 5%. The object of a good religion is to make man's life worth living and himself worthy of life. We should be able to enjoy the things of the world, yet always be ready to sacrifice them if necessary. Too often we measure a man's success by his wealth, but Jesus said, quote, a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. Luke chapter 12, verse 15. And again, he told his disciples not to be concerned about food and drink, because your father knoweth that ye have need of these things, but rather seek ye the kingdom of God. Matthew chapter 16, verse 32. But Israel, both in ancient and modern times, have fallen prey to the styles, customs, traditions, and foolish laws of the Gentile world. God wanted Israel to become a peculiar people and a holy nation, but we have become servants to the Gentiles and hewers of wood and drawers of water. Joshua chapter 9, verse 27. And we've done that for Babylon. Today, the Mormons are seeking to gain riches by common Gentile practices of banking, investments on Wall Street, commercial cooperation or corporations, and other scheming business practices. The Lord will never make them rich by that means. In fact, it is a snare that will soon lead to total bankruptcy and depression. A simple remedy was given by former prophets and apostles, for example, President Brigham Young explained, quote, We can get rich a great deal quicker by serving God than by serving ourselves. Do a great deal better and do a great deal, uh, deal more good. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. He is, anx- he is anxious and is waiting to extend his arms and his hands com- comparatively to pour the wealth of the world into the laps of the Latter-day Saints if they will not give it away to their enemies.
Journal of Discourses, Volume 15, page 228, and we're on page 274 at 13%. Others, such as Orson Pratt, promised the same when he said, quote, If we unite ourselves together upon this principle with our all our hearts, might and hearts, might, mind, and strength, laying aside all covetousness, there is not any power beneath the celestial kingdom that is able to prevail against us. We will prosper in all things, and uh, and the Lord will make us the richest of all people who have ever been upon the face of the earth for many generations, and He will bless our basket and our store, and increase and multiply the flocks and herds in the fields, and cause them to flourish exceedingly, and make us mighty. And when we go forth, he will make the nations to tremble before us, because his power and glory will be with us when we are doing his will and are united in one. Journal of Discourses, Volume 2, page 104. Fifteen years later, President Young realized that the saints are still incapable and unprepared for the greater riches when he said, quote, Looking at matters in, the temple from, in a temple point of view and in the light of strict economy, I am ashamed to see the poverty that exists among the Latter-day Saints. They ought to be worth millions and millions and millions on millions, where now they are not worth a dollar. Journal of Discourses, Volume 17, page 44, and we're on page 275 if you're following along at 20%. Further enlightenment came from Brigham Young on the reasons why the saints do not have God's blessings of great riches when he said, quote, He has not told us in the early rise of this church, or I'm sorry, has he not told us in the early rise of this church, if we would do his will and seek the riches that is is the will of the Father to bestow upon us, we should be the richest of all people. For the riches of eternity should be given to us, and it must needs be, saith the Lord, that the riches of the earth are mine to give. They are all his how easily he could turn all the riches of the, of the earth into our hands if we were only prepared to receive them and use them according to his will. But he knows the time to hasten them, and he knows the secret intent of our hearts as a people. He knows whether or not we are prepared to use the riches of the earth to build up his kingdom or not, and he will he will withhold them until the time shall fully come for him to bless us according to the promise he has made. Until we shall be prepared to receive them, we shall have riches then in great plenty. Gold will be so plentiful that we may find no use for it only to make culinary or other utensils. We may use some of it for paving our streets and whatsoever is necessary. Journal of Discourses, Volume 2, page 265. Now, there's two ways for us to, to have wealth, but only one of them comes with a true eternal blessing. We can become like the Gentiles and go and invest in all the Gentile stuff and 
build up the devil's kingdom, which Joseph Smith actually stated that it is not the mind and will of God for the saints to lay up another dollar for building up the devil's kingdom. He wanted us to build up the kingdom of God and not to go whoring ourselves off after Babylon the Great. So we can get rich in that way, and the church has done it. And there are many within the church who have gone after the Gentiles in building up their riches. But those riches do not have any eternal blessings. If we do it, if we follow God's economic program, the United Order, we can receive the riches of heaven and the riches on the earth and be taken care of and build up the kingdom of God on the earth. But there is no, there is no eternal um, blessings in it. Continuing on, but there are only a few people who understand the true purpose for gold and riches. Brigham Young continued to explain that quote, gold is pure and precious, is a pure and precious metal, and the wicked love it through selfishness or an unholy lust. Well, God and his true people love to pave the streets of Zion with it, to overlay altars and pulpits of temples with it, and to make utensils of it for the use of priests, the priests of the Lord, in offering sacrifices to him, and also for household purposes. Journal of Discourses, Volume 10, page 254. Now, um, I'm going to go away from the reading just for a minute. Uh, I think it's interesting that he mentions that God wants us to have the gold to make utensils to for the priests of the Lord in offering sacrifices to him. Um, a lot of people don't know, but in the Nauvoo Temple, there was actually a place for animal sacrifice. And, and I think it's in Ezekiel chapter 37, it talks about in the millennium that there would be animal sacrifice. A lot of Christians who believe that God did away with all the sacrifices, they look at that and they say, well, what does this mean? And what they come to the conclusion of, and what I I tend to agree with, is that there will be sacrifices not to look forward to what Christ has done for us, but to honor and look back upon what Christ has done for us. Um, I myself have sacrificed the Paschal Lamb. And that experience of doing that had uh, has taught me so much and helped me understand the gravity of what Jesus did for us. And I knew it before, but it added a, a certain level of insight that uh, that was beneficial and edifying to myself. Um, so but we know that in the millennium, according to the Old Testament, that Ezekiel saw in vision that there would be sacrifices during the millennial reign. Also in Zechariah chapter 14, it talks about um, certain feasts and festivals that God would require during the millennium. And a lot of people think that all of these things were done away with, but they were not. Um, they have not been fully restored in our dispensation. In uh, section 124 of the Doctrine and Covenants, Jesus tells us that if we were obedient 
and building up and finishing that temple, not only would we have the fullness of the priesthood restored to us, but he said that this would be the beginning of Revelations, and he talks about restoring the times and seasons, which in Hebrew are called the Moedim, or the Holy Days of Jehovah. But that didn't happen because they never finished the temple, and the Father never came in to restore the fullness of the priesthood, which would have been the redemption of Zion on the earth for the people of God, and we were disobedient in doing those things. And Jesus said he would reject the church with the dead if we weren't obedient, and that's kind of what happened. All of those revelations that he said would happen and would be given for the redemption of Zion in that temple, none of that ever happened. There was no spiritual manifestation. Uh, there was no visitation by the Father, the Son, or any of God's angels or servants or messengers. It didn't happen. They never finished the temple. Anyway, but Brigham Young said he knew where he could go and get um, handfuls of gold anytime he wanted, and I have known this ever since I have been in these valleys. If we if we possessed true knowledge and power with God, we should know how to get gold in great abundance. And that's if God wants us to have it. But that's anyway, that was recorded in Journal of Discourses, Volume 10, page 267. Explaining the power of God over these temporal elements, he said, quote, These treasures that are in the earth are carefully watched they can be removed from place to place according to the good pleasure of him who made them and owns them. He has his messengers at his service, and it is just as easy for that for an angel to remove the minerals from any part of one of these mountains to another, as it is for you and me to walk up and down this hall. This, however, is not understood by the Christian world, nor by us as a people. Journal of Discourses, volume 19, page 37. Although Brigham Young knew where to get gold, he never produced large amounts of it on, on or for the market. In fact, he discouraged others from doing so, so as to describe, so as described by an English convert by the name of Kruslin, who found a large rock studded with gold. Cruslin was herding his sheep near Tuilla one day when he accidentally found this gold. He took samples of it to Brigham Young. Young explained or examined the specimen, and we're on page 277, by the way, at 35%. Young, Young examined the specimen and returned it to Cruslin, agreeing they were rich in gold. He then instructed him to never show or tell anyone where the gold came from and that he was never to return to that ledge again. When Crossland started to object, Brigham Young told him that digging gold would frustrate the plans of the church. We could dig up tons of gold and line the streets with it. He told Crossland, but I would not feed a single hungry but it would not feed a single hungry Mormon. We need to grow grains to feed ourselves and others to come and raise sheep for wool for our clothing, but we do not need gold. Perhaps sometime in the future, we may, the time may come when we need it, but that time is not now. And quote, Brigham Young cursed lost legend of gold by John Thompson, Western Treasures, 
and that was written in uh, August of uh, 1968, and you can find that on page 59. Croslin talked about the mine to the day of his death and showed people samples of the ore, but he never went back on his promise to Brigham Young. He declared that he walked near it and saw it many times, but he never went back to that ledge of gold. It is evident that the Lord would have given the saints the treasures of the earth if if they had been obedient to the laws of the United Order. Instead of being united in our feelings to build up all, each one takes his own course, whereas, whereas if we are united, we would get rich ten times faster than we do now said Brigham Young, and that's in Journal of Discourses, Volume 11, page 349. President John Taylor understood the problem and said, quote, and this is on page 278, and we're at 42%, but I will tell you one thing you can never do unless you can get the united order in the hearts of this people. You can never plant it anywhere else. Articles and constitutions amount to very little, We must have this law, which is the law of God, written upon our hearts. Journal of Discourses, volume 20, page 45, and that was John Taylor who said that. The Lord also said that where your treasure is, there will your hearts be also. Luke chapter 23, verse 34. And it is for this reason that I, the Lord, require the hearts of the children of men. Doctrine and Covenants, section 64, verse 22. Brigham Young understood this from the commencement of the United Order. Sunday, January 31st, 1875, President Brigham Young spoke on the United Order and said that it would never fail, said that it would never fail no more than the eternities would. He said that the brethren who had been trying to carry out the order had no conception of what the Lord wanted. And he said the course the, the, course the brethren in this place had pursued would beggar the, the people, the, said the Lord, nor the first presidents. He wanted the gold, silver, the houses, the horses, or chattel of the people, but all will be asked for was this. Son, give me thine heart. Said when the the people felt like that, there would be no more trouble in carrying out the United Order. And that's taken from the Clay Walker Journal. Only when men are willing to sacrifice all things for God, are they willing of, are they worthy of obtaining the keys of the kingdom and an endless life? Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 322, or on page 279 at 49%. The Lord does not need the real estate which men pursue or own. For what is property unto unto me, saith the Lord? Have I not made the earth? Doctrine and Covenants, section 117, verses 4 and 6. The Lord neither needs nor wants man's temporal possessions. He wants his heart. How simple how simple this may seem, but yet how many millennia has he been trying to gain a few people that would give him their heart? 
properly said, President George Q. Cannon asked, quote, and he was an apostle in the OE church, when you made up your minds to obey this gospel, did you hesitate because your friends told you that if you became Mormons, you would spoil your prospects and lose your friends? No, you sacrificed every worldly consideration. You risked all for the truth, for the salvation which God promised you. And so in the United Order, if you have a testimony that it is of God, you will feel that no matter what it costs, all right. Failures, yes, there may be failures. I expect that there will be failures and mistakes as long as we are so full of free frailty, sorry, but who cares for that? But this will not be the fault of the principle. If God commands us to do anything, let us do it with all our hearts, and he will prepare the way and preserve us from the bad effects of failure. Journal of Discourses, volume 17, page 242. Heber Benyon, who was a bishop in the church back in the day, understood the effects, the effect of love in a united order, just as it is in our family. Quote, we work for our families just as we work for ourselves, because we love them as we love ourselves. And we will do the same thing when we come to love our neighbor as ourselves. Gospel Problems by Heber Benyon. Page 64, one page 280. And let me just say that there, the secret to marriage is that you serve one another. I serve my wife and my children. And they in turn serve me. And we have a very, very good family. We love each other and things might not always be easy. But as we serve one another... Love grows within our family, and our family strengthens in love and and the bonds of being in a family. You know, as we serve our fellow man, we are serving God, according to King Benjamin in the Book of Mormon. In the United Order, says we serve one another and don't just take from one another, but we actually serve one another, there will be a love and fellowship in the gospel among the people, the saints of God. That is one of the great secrets. And if you want to be a Zion people, you must serve your fellow man. And you have to live God's laws as well. But God served us by laying down his life. God served us by coming down and leaving his throne in the heavens. God serves us And he loves us. And if he serves us, being the greatest of all, ought not we to serve those who God loves? God loves his people. Like, I've felt that love. I've stood in his presence um, on multiple occasions. And that love is ineffable. It's indescribable. It is so powerful. He loves us so much. And... 
he wants us to love one another as well. And how do we love each other? We love each other by serving each other. Anyway, we're on page 280 at 57%. Christians repeat the Lord's Prayer and ask for the kingdom of heaven to come upon the earth so the Lord's will will be done on the earth as it is in heaven, yet very few do anything about it. President John Taylor, who was the third president of the LDS Church, stated, I cannot conceive of anything more beautiful and heavenly than a united brotherhood organized after the pattern laid down in the Doctrine and Covenants. When all act for the benefit of all, when, when while we love God with all our hearts, we love our neighbors as ourselves, where our time, our property, our talents, our mental and bodily powers are all exerted for the good of all, where no man grabs or takes advantage of another, where there is common interest, a common purse, a common stock, where did or whereas they did on this this continent, it is said of them that they all dealt justly to each other, and all acted for the general general will. When every man in every place should meet a brother and a friend, when all the generous and benevolent influences and sympathies of our our nature are carried out, and covetousness, arrogance, hatred, pride, and every other evil are subdued and bought, brought into subjection to the will and the spirit of God, these principles are very beautiful and would be very happifying for our community, a territory, a state, a nation, or the world. Journal of Discourses, Volume 17, page 180. Brigham Young also described this people in a vision saying that they should be or could be united according to the heavenly plan. And we're on page 281 at 64%. So this is what Brigham Young said. I have looked upon the community of the Latter-day Saints in vision and beheld them organized as one great family of heaven, each uh, person performing his several duties in his line of industry, working for the good of the whole more than the individual aggrandizement. And in this, I have beheld the most beautiful order that the mind of man can contemplate and the greatest result results for the upbuilding of the kingdom of God and the spread of righteousness upon the earth, will this people ever come to this order of things? Journal of Discourses, volume 12, page 153. It was a pertinent question, for it is a major problem, problem getting men to obey the laws of God and become united. Apostle Orson Snow seemed to believe that only a few would achieve what the Lord wanted man to do. Quote, It is true that once in a great while there is a man who can break out from the common track of doing things, and such man will increase in influence and in knowledge of God and the riches of eternity. Journal of Discourses, Volume 5, page 66. And President Brigham Young pleaded, for a few to keep, to make an attempt to keep God's laws 
and then show the rest how to do it. Quote, I have one little sermon to the bishops, Bishop Young and all the rest of them, and to the elders. I want to see a pattern set for this holy order. And I give to each one of them a mission to go and call together 5, 10, 20, or 50 families and organize a complete organization and show the rest of us how to live. Journal of Discourses, Volume 17, page 160, and we're on page 282 at 71%. The Lord, too, is pleading for his, his wise and honorable men to comply with the laws of his gospel. But in an era of strong delusion, grand deceptions, and priestcrafts, because men put their trust in the arm of flesh or the council, the councils of men, they are not, there are not many wise nor faithful nor valiant men who will arise and say, we will obey God and care not what man can do. The future destiny of the Latter-day Saints is not even understood by themselves. There will be a few faithful elders who will become the world leaders. They will have the power with God to in- induce greater temporal and spiritual blessings to the world than ever before. The Apostle John Taylor elaborated, We believe that there will be a temporal kingdom of God organized that will be under the direction and auspices of the Lord of hosts, and that in all of all our affairs, whether they re- relate to things temporal or things spiritual, as we have been in the habit of calling them, we shall be under the direction of the Lord, as the scriptures say. It shall come to pass that all the people shall be taught of the Lord. This is the part and parcel of our creed. We believe that we shall rear splendid edifices, magnificent temples and beautiful cities that shall become the pride, praise, and glory of the whole earth. We believe that this people will excel in literature, in science, in the arts, and in manufacturing. In fact, there will be a a a concentration. Oh, sorry. I don't know why I couldn't read that word. There will be a concentration of wisdom, not only of the combined wisdom of the world as it now exists, But men will be inspired in regard to all these matters in a manner and to an extent that they never have been before. And we shall have eventually, when the Lord's purposes are carried out, the most magnificent buildings, the most pleasant and beautiful gardens, the richest and most costly clothing, and be the most healthy and the most intellectual people that will reside upon the earth. This is part and parcel of our faith. In fact, Zion will become the praise of the whole earth. And as the Queen of Sheba said anciently, touching the glory of Solomon, the half of it had not been told her. So so it will be in regard to Israel and their dwelling places. In fact, if there is anything... Great, noble, dignified, exalted, anything pure or holy or virtuous or lovely, anything that is calculated to exalt or ennoble the human mind, 
to dignify and elevate the people, it will be found among the people of the saints of the Most High God. This is only a faint outline of some of our views in relation to these things, and hence we talk of returning to Jackson County to build the most magnificent temple that was ever formed on the earth and the most splendid city that ever was ever erected. Yet, yea, cities, if you please, the agricultural design, I'm sorry, the architectural designs of the most splendid edifices, cities, walls, gardens, bowers, streets, etc., will, under the direction of the Lord, who will control and manage all of these matters and the people, from the president down, will all be under the guidance and direction of the Lord and all the pursuits of human life until eventually they will become, they will be enabled to erect cities that will be fit to be caught up. That when Zion descends from above, Zion will also ascend from beneath and be prepared to associate with those from above. And we're on page 284 at 68%. The people will also be perfected and purified, ennobled, exalted, dignified in their feelings, and so truly humble, the most worthy, virtuous, and intelligent, that they will be fit, when caught up, to associate with that Zion that shall come down from God out of heaven. Journal of Discourses, Volume 10, page 146 and 147. And this dispensation, men, lear, men must learn to live as Enoch lived. By the same principles, they must accomplish all that, that he did, yea, even more. Enoch, Enoch established the united order in a city. This people must establish it among all nations. Enoch success, successfully defended the gospel against the wickedness of, of neighboring cities. But this people must defend it against the rest of the world. Enoch had opposition from a few nearby countries, but this people must purge unrighteousness out of all the world, making it a suitable place for Enoch and for his city to return. Enoch received visitations from the Lord, but this people must must prepare the new Jerusalem for him to dwell to dwell for a millennium. Enoch raised his city into the terrestrial order, but but this people must translate the whole earth into the glory, into that glory. The work of the Lord in the last days is for the gathering of the elect of the Lord out of every nation on earth and bring them to the place of the Lord of hosts when the city of righteousness shall be built and where the people shall be of one heart and one mind when the Savior comes. Yea, where the people shall walk with God like Enoch and be free from sin. Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 93, and we're on page 285 of the United Order. In these last days, a few faithful men will prepare themselves to become a royal priesthood and a holy nation, where even bells on the horses will be inscribed with holiness to the Lord. 
they will have learned this important lesson that they must be equal in the bonds of earthly things also for obtaining for the obtaining of heavenly things. Doctrine and Covenants, section 78, verse 5. In those days, men will have learned to consecrate more than dollars and dirt. They will have consecrated their hearts, their time, their talents, their all to the Lord and to his kingdom. So that is the end of the reading of the United Order. And like I said before, um, I think we're going to get into the 1880s to the 1890s revelations. And I think that's going to be the book, the next book that that we do. Let me just pull it up here. Uh, I'm going to ogdenkraut.com. Oh, excuse me. I had it on United Order. So I'm going to click on the main page, read books online. And then I'm going to go scroll down. Everything's in alphabetical order. And we're going to scroll down to Revelations 1880 through 1890. And let me just give you a quick preview on the introduction of this book. So this book was written by Ogden Kraut in uh, 1970 and it's a compilation of course his opinions in it as well but uh, what I like about Ogden Kraut is that he compiled a bunch of stuff and he gives his opinion and I don't always agree with his opinion but I give my opinions too right but but uh, there's just a ton of quotes from early leaders of the church on different things now the reason why he had to write this book, Revelations 1880 to 1890, is because the church is guilty. Uh, Brigham Young was guilty of this too, okay? There are, are unpublished revelations. Fred Collier found a ton, and he actually compiled, I think, several volumes of books that are full of these revelations that the church doesn't want you to have because they have a specific groomed narrative and anything which doesn't fit on the table or the bed that they have decided the gospel should fit on, it gets cut off and thrown to the side, which Isaiah saw that also. All, uh, you know, they, I can't remember exactly how he put it, but he talks about the bed and how they cut off here a little and there a little. And this, uh, this book that we're going to be getting into, which talks about revelations received by Wilfred Woodruff and John Taylor between 1880 and 1890, um, were hidden and rejected by the church. So when Elder Ballard, he sits there and says, we don't hide anything from you. Actually, they hide a lot from you because they have a correlation department and they have a specific narrative and they don't want the full truth to be had because they want to tell you a story. A story which fits the parameters of their choosing, not God's choosing. And if it were the case that it was God's choosing, then they would have included these revelations and people would know about them, but most people don't know about them. So anyway... I'll just uh, I'll give a, a quick preview on this. 
Um, like I said before, we're not doing phone calls anymore, other than the fact that people can call in to listen to the program as it airs live from 6, 6 a.m. to whenever we finish uh, the program. Uh, you know, they can call in and listen to it live every day. But shortly after the end of the live in the morning, it will be uploaded to iTunes and also to blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentally Mormon. And then people can just listen to the recording after the fact. And, you know, if you want to comment on things wherever I post the text, that's great too. But anyway, getting to the revelation or to the revelations 1880 to 1890, which was written by Ogden Kraut in 1970. The following revelations were previously compiled and printed in two separate publications. Part one was a collection of the most, which had already been circulated. The revelations in part two were located or more recently in family in a family journal. So basically what Ogden did was he compiled a bunch of stuff and then he would put stuff different places and he'd organize them, and then we, when he had enough information to create a chapter, he would create a chapter, and then he would continue to compile things, and he would create books. And most of the things that he talked about are compilations of things that he's collected, along with some commentary and some interesting information from a lot of different sources. So, like I said, that's one of the reasons I enjoy reading Ogden Kraut's interesting information. That and the fact that it's free online. People can... Because after he died, Kevin, his son, Kevin Kraut, uh, decided that this information should be free for people to read. That uh, you can buy these books so that you have copies for yourselves. But with the the internet, uh, they were able to create... um, web pages where they were able to put most of the books. I think there's one or two that they do not circulate. And then Ogden, when he died, he was actually writing things. Like, he didn't finish books. Like, Kevin and I have talked about books that that he was working on that he never finished, and that, and that there was some things that he did finish that his, uh, I think his wife, one of his wives, because he was a polygamist, I think her name was Ann Wild. I think she hid some things, but I could be wrong about that. That was something that that Kevin and Beverly and I talked about quite a while ago. Um, but I have been given permission to read these books and to give this information out. Now, I found out about Ogden Kraut back in the early 2000s when I was a truck driver and I, um, I dropped my trailer at the yard in uh, in Salt Lake City, Utah, and I was living in my truck at the time, and I drove down to the Valley Valley Fair Mall or in West Valley, Utah, and there used to be a dollar movies there, and I'd go in there, and I, you know, I'd, I wouldn't have anything to do. I was waiting for a load or whatever, uh, you know, maybe, maybe the load would come the next day, and I was just waiting for somebody to bring it in from Oregon or California or wherever it was coming, and then I would take it, right? So I was allowed to take my semi-truck, and I would go down, which wasn't very far from the yard, maybe, I don't know, six or seven miles, and I would go down and watch dollar movies. 
And one night, as I was coming out of the last movie of the night, one of the security guards drove up to me in his pickup and we started talking. And he was very impressed by my level of of knowledge on the gospel. See, after my conversion, I just went full on into studying everything I could get my hands on. I went on a mission. Um, I told God that if he would show me the truth, I would serve him for the rest of my life. And I was very serious about that. And I wanted to convert the world, which meant that I studied a lot. In fact, when I was an over-the-road truck driver, there were times when I would spend between two to 400 or more dollars a month on books and audio tapes and CDs, anything that I could to to learn. And then my, my uh, enjoyment, now I, I didn't enjoy listening to some music back then too, but um, and I know this is going off in tangents, but here we go. I was a driver trainer for some time. And I didn't want to listen to whatever crap they were getting into the truck with. So one day I decided to pull my AM FM radio out while I didn't have a student. And I pulled the antenna cord off the back of the AM FM radio. And um, that way, I, you know, they'd listen to whatever they want. But the signal came in really crappy. And... and more often than not, they'd be like, oh, I don't, I don't have anything to listen to while I'm driving. And I'd be like, well, you want to listen to uh, one of my audiobooks?" And they're like, sure. And it was kind of funny because I had the work and the glory, all the volumes. Um, I had all of the Nephite Tennis Shoe series. I had um, all of the books that I could get my hands on, like books that were like romantic LDS books and adventure LDS books and every, all the books, right? And I would get them on either cassette tape or audio uh, CD and I would listen to them. And in this way, I would spark conversations about Mormonism and about the Restoration. And I was able to actually help convert a bunch of people that were not from Utah, but they were they were my trainees who I was training how to drive over the road as truck drivers. And uh, and not only that, I would I had all the conference talks on tape back to like the nineteen seventy or something like that. I had every audio book I could get my hands on from Deseret Book or Single Book and Tape or the Church Distribution Center. And even when I didn't have students, I would be listening to this stuff and I would be reading books and all of this. So back in the early 2000s, I met this guy who was a security guard in West Valley City and he had three books on him and he decided that I needed them. They were Mysteries of Creation, Jesus Was Married, and Compromising Concessions. And I devoured those books, and I loved them. But that's all I had, right? So years go by, and I'm still a truck driver. And in fact, um, in 2008 to 2010, I was an oil field worker, 
And I found this website where Ogden Kraut um, and Kevin Kraut put these books out. And I, I started reading them. And then I didn't meet Kevin um, until January of 2013, when God told me to go to him and to be rebaptized and recommit myself for the work of the ministry that God had for me to do. So basically, I called Kevin up one day. I got his information. And I was living in New Hampshire, but I was able to get a a, a load from Hartford, Connecticut, down to a place by Ontario, California, right on I-15 and I-10. It wasn't Ontario, but it was right there, and I can't remember the name of it. And then I was able to get a load up to Salt Lake from there. Yeah, it was like the first time I'd been back in Utah for a couple of years. Anyway, so my mom lives in Utah, and she comes and picks me up, and I ask her to drive me down to Santa Quinn, which, by the way, was the only reason I was able to do that was because there was this mass, two massive blizzards and um, I, we couldn't drive truck out through Wyoming because these huge storms were happening. So, and they were happening in Utah as well. But anyway, I got my mom to let me drive her four-wheel drive Jeep from Salt Lake City down to, or North Salt Lake, down to Santa Quinn. And I called him. I called Kevin up like that morning or maybe a couple hours before that. And I was like, hey, uh. I know you don't know me, but um, I would like to speak to you. Is it all right if I meet you somewhere? And he told me, you know, he had this print shop down in Santa Quinn called Pioneer Press. And he gave me the address and I was like, okay. And so like I drove up and I still remember it was so cold. It was in January of, I think it was January 2013. And um, I talked to him for like two hours and then he was uh, convinced that I wasn't just some jerk pulling his leg or something. And he felt the spirit. And so we made arrangements and he took me, we went down to Nephi, Utah, which my mom was very unhappy about. She just wanted to go home. Anyway, but uh, I got baptized and uh, recommitted like God told me to do. And then after the fact, um, after I got dressed, I'm still wet and we're in the hotel room, because we went to this hotel and uh, motel, whatever, with an indoor pool in uh, in Nephi, Utah. Um, Kevin and his wife Beverly and his wife Amy and a couple of other people were there. And Kevin said, you are so familiar to me and I know you from somewhere. And the thing about it is I get that all the time because people do recognize me spiritually but they don't know who I am some people actually know who I am I was in Nauvoo one time and one of the missionaries from either Sholo uh, Arizona or somewhere in that area I can't remember exactly what he was there as a missionary an elder missionary for the LDS church in Nauvoo and he was in the plane, he kept looking at me and my family sitting on the front row. And right after the play was over with, he ran down to me and he shook me. He shook my hand 
And with tears in his eyes, he told me he knew exactly who I was. And he was so happy to see me in mortality. And it was interesting because um, that happened to me three times that day in Nauvoo. But that that one time, he it, it wasn't, I know you from somewhere, which happens a lot. It was, I know exactly who you are. That doesn't happen very often, but but uh, Kevin, when uh, right after I was rebaptized, he says, "I know who you are," or "I know I, you're very familiar to me." But he didn't know who I was, so I kind of told him a little bit about who I am and what my calling is and everything. Anyway, so uh, and then like a couple of months later, I was able to come back to Utah to visit with my wife and my kids. And then we got stuck in Utah, so that's why we live here now, because uh, there was pregnancy complications. But um, Kevin agreed that I would be allowed to read these books on my podcast and radio show. That's why I read them. And I read some other stuff, too. And I actually have permission from uh, a couple of different authors to read their stuff. But... Ogden Kraut compiles this stuff, and it is good, and it is information that people should know. And, and Ogden Kraut was set apart. He was foreordained to preserve true doctrine from the Gentile church who is trying to get rid of it. And he's he did a good job, and he wrote 70-something books and pamphlets before he died. And they're great, and we're going to continue to read them, and that's why... That's why I read this stuff, and I don't agree with everything Ogden Kraut said, but a lot of the stuff is really good. Um, now we probably would have had disagreements on uh, the validity and the and the uh, of you know the church and the the authority claims of Brigham Young because he was a pure fundamentalist. I am a fundamentalist in the fact that I believe in the fundamental fundamental foundations of the LDS church, but I also am not so blind that I can't see the errors and the, the screw-ups of the different people throughout time. And I talk about all those things on this radio program. So if, uh, if you're enjoying it, uh, let me know. You know, you can contact me through, fas- uh, through Messenger on Facebook. But Let's uh, let's read the pre uh, the preface. During the 1880s, the church suffered the indignities of persecution, prosecution, and confiscation of property. The leading men of the church were in prison or dodging persecution. President John Taylor spent most of his time as president of the church, living in the underground to avoid imprisonment, which is part of the reason why these revelations were never presented to the church uh, during the time that they were received, because they were not able to do that because the federal government was hunting them down and throwing them into prison. Anyway, continuing on. In the deepest of these sufferings, the Lord was mindful of his people. He bestowed upon them light and revelation for their comfort and encouragement. A few of many revelations received during this time were recorded in journals, on scraps of paper, or published in European editions of the Doctrine and Covenants. And real quick, I've actually seen 
some of these revelations in those European uh, versions or editions of the Doctrine and Covenants, but they weren't printed in the American versions. So those are really, really rare. <clears throat> and I was actually just very lucky. Uh, we were having a meeting um, with people from the branch of the Righteous uh, Righteous branch of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, which is a fundamentalist group based in Tonopah, Nevada, and also uh, we're having a dream mind thing, and one of the individuals I was talking to actually had that Doctrine and Covenants where some of these revelations were published, and I saw them, so I know they exist. But anyway, those printed here are subject to controversy because of the manner in which they were recorded and printed. What little documentation has been available is included in the, the notes following each revelation. The, re, the reader must read these revelations in light of apocryphal works, enlightened and benefited by whatever inspiration he can derive therein. And that is the preface by Ogden Krauss. So the first revelation that we'll get into on our next program will be Revelation of January 26, 1880, and it was given to Wilfred Woodruff, and it was received in Sunset, Arizona, like I said, um, January 26, 1880. So, anyway, it is a written revelation that he received, and we'll get into it when we come back to the program. Thank you, everyone, for listening to the program. Please like like these things, share them if you will. Uh, if you find this information edifying, um, share it, and I will continue to put these things out there. Also, if you could go on Apple iTunes and subscribe there, that helps me in the rankings and helps more people to get this information out there. Also, uh, any any uh, contributions people can help me with. I'm actually, I don't usually take money for doing any of this. But it's getting to the point between my family, my job, and doing the work of the ministry that my schedule is so tight and I'm thinking I might be losing my job. And hopefully that doesn't happen, but my I'm so tired all the time and I can't do all the things I want to do and then I can't just take time off whenever I want to take time off to go I don't go to meetings with the Zarahemla Foundation because I don't have time to. I don't go to the Sunstone meetings. I don't go to the Righteous Branch. I get invited to all this stuff all the time. And I don't have time to because I'm so busy working all the time. And I don't ask for money usually, but I'm thinking, you know what? Uh, there has been people who have felt that they need to help out with this effort. And so if that happens where people are in the, um, they're able to help out, uh, I'm not going to reject that anymore. So um, I'll try to keep the work of the ministry and I'll, I'll try to keep uh, like what I do with, uh, I do have some tithing that comes in from other people. Um, usually the money that I make, I, I put uh, aside 10% of my my income to provide for the work of the ministry. But um, there was a revelation where God told 
me to be supported by the people and I hate it because I love to work but if I lose my job then uh, I think this is my job this really is my job I wasn't sent here to be a truck driver to drive all up and down and all over the place it has been a good job and driving truck here there and everywhere has given me the time and the opportunity to have time to to contemplate and to study and to ponder uh, the things of God and also be a witness to the things that are happening in the world as I uh, tune into the news and all of that stuff. But that's not why I'm here. I'm here to do the work of the ministry. And if people want to support me and the work of the ministry, um, I will accept people helping me out. So... Anyway, uh, and my wife wants me to quit driving a truck anyway. She misses me so much. I work from 5 p.m. to 5 a.m., five or six days a week. And uh, and then uh, I usually can get home by 5 to 5.30. I wake up my family and get them ready for school. Um, I, I've been posting these uh, radio programs at 6 in the morning. And then, um, you know, it's on mute and everything, and we're all listening to it. And then um, I'm helping my family get ready, and my wife leaves at 6.45, and my older two leave between 7.20 and 7.30. And then I'm able to go up and take a shower and get into bed around 8, and then I sleep until, until I'm done sleeping, which usually is between 4 to 6 hours, and then I do the radio show, and I do the recording. That's what I'm doing now. I'm, I'm pre-recording for a future episode, which will, which will, you know, be the conclusion of United Order. And uh, after I'm done with the recording, usually I will try to make myself sleep for a little bit longer, and then around 4 p.m. I will get up, I will take a shower, I'll get my stuff ready. I will say hi to my two older kids who are home. I do not get to see my wife or my younger children because I leave before they get home. And it's a tough lifestyle. And um, and I'm tired all the time because I drive truck all night long. And then my days are supposed to be Thursday and Friday. And then I go back to work on Saturday and, but Saturday is the only day that my wife and my kids are home where I can actually do stuff with them. And um, usually I try to get a nap in and then go into work around sunset on Saturday. But sometimes I'm just not able to do that. And I'm actually, I actually got in trouble because I didn't go into work on Saturday because I was just too tired to drive. Now, I like this work because um, as a dad, um, being home from 8, 8 a.m. to 4 p.m., um, I put my phone on sleep and silent and whatever, but my wife can still call me because she's one of my favorite contacts. And whenever something happens, I can go and do whatever I need to do to help out with the family things that have to happen, right? 
So I appreciate the schedule, which is something I wouldn't be able to do if I was driving during the daytime, but it is so exhausting, and I am literally tired all the time. Sometimes I'm able to attend a church that I really enjoy in Price, Utah, and the people have known me there for a long time, and the pastor's mother was like, well, you look better than last week, because I actually attended two weeks in a row, which is a rare occasion. And I said, what do you mean? She said, you could tell you were so tired last week, and I can tell you're tired now, but you're not as tired as you were last week. And I was like, yep, and that's my life. I am exhausted all the dang time. If I didn't go to work tonight, I could actually sleep all night long, even though I slept all day long. And I know that that's not your problem, that's my problem, but I am trying to do so much I don't have time to watch TV or to read um, read books that are just fiction books. You know, it's always the work of the ministry, going to work to make money for my family, taking care of my family, taking care of the farm. And uh, my job on the earth is to do this work, the work of the ministry. And uh, because... Uh, I was not able to have the energy to go to work on Saturday night. I am in trouble today. And my boss is like, well, why can't you just keep a schedule? Well, I would love to, but it's hard to drive at night for one. And for two, my family's not home during the week. They're home on the weekend. And you want me to work on the weekend, but then you also want me to give you my evenings where they're home. So I see my family when I'm falling asleep, sitting in my chair or helping out with the stress of trying to get everybody ready and get all the art. We have an eight-year-old girl and a six-year-old girl that have to have their hair done all pretty every day, you know, and uh, we also have a 12-year-old that needs her hair done, you know, and... I don't get to see my family. I do, kind of, but not really. And if I'm falling asleep, which does happen a lot, then my wife wakes me up to give me a hug and a kiss, and then she goes out the door, and I don't get to see her again until maybe if she brings me food that evening, I might get get to see her for five minutes if I'm lucky. So... Um, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I was thinking maybe I should start asking for donations and getting away from working for the world when I'm supposed to be working for God. So I don't know. Anyway, uh, if you have any comments or questions, you can always reach me at facebook.com and uh, just message me through Messenger. And I try to check those um now, if you're just saying hi, I will I will look at your message and because that happens a lot, a lot. And I probably won't respond, but if you have an actual question for me or a comment, I will read it. And if there is a response that is needed, then I'll try to give the response. But like I said, I don't have time for hardly anything else either. So anyway, thank you for listening to the program, everyone. Take care. God bless. And goodbye. Thank you.
You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts.